Saturday, Suckage presents Studzinski and Meatballs. Sit back and listen as the score's number one Bears fan, Adam Studzinski, unleashes his inner meatball. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> now, you're going to hear about it. Whew, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Had a lot of problems with you people. And here's the... Trash Panda, Studzinski, and Meatballs. He's been meatballing away. <laughs> in, in, an, in a way I never really imagined, and I hadn't thought about, but it seems so perfect. So Adam Studzinski is joining me on the Score Hotline. Presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Trash Panda, it's all of these, so it's all the local guys. They're all going to war oh. with you. You're all brothers. Is that... Is that it? The Bears keep signing the homeboys? That's, you know, if their strategy is to continue signing every meatball Bears fan in the NFL, I am all for it. Like, that is just an outstanding move. I'm pretty sure that me, TJ Edwards, Cole Komet, Robert Tunyon, and who am I missing? I'm missing Jack guys. Sanborn. Jack Sanborn. Oh my gosh! How could I forget Jack Sanborn? We're all going to be best friends pretty soon. By <laughs> by the end of 2023, we're all going to be best friends, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be in a group text, and you know, like we got a lot of similarities. Like I played linebacker in high school. Those guys play linebacker in the NFL. Some of them play tight end, but I think that I think we'd all get along. I love the meatballish, and I can't wait to become best friends. It's all the stepbrother thing, isn't it? And oh, and yeah. I don't I and I can't see where it's much of a difference between you playing a linebacker in high school and them playing <laughs> linebacker in the NFL. It just seems like you guys could swap out for one another. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, hey, look, Rosie, the the defense that I played on my senior year, we allowed four points a, a game in the regular season. Like, we we're pretty good, so I think that would translate well to the NFL. I'm just saying. Okay, it it would it would, and the the other part of this is, or does this does your meatballness as part of Studzinski and meatballs in doing the research on all of the possibilities for the Bears? To draft, there's there's Jalen Carter. Ryan Poles likes his guys to come pre-arrested, apparently, <laughs> and that's a possibility. And then there's Peter Skaronski. He's a local guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And then so, and and then there's there's Lucas Van Ness from out in Barrington, who not only has the hometown thing in Barrington, the Iowa defensive end or defensive lineman. But he's dating Cole Komet's sister. I actually did not know that until just now. That's outstanding. Well, if if we're following the pattern of what Ryan Poles has done largely this offseason, I think we can expect him to draft Peter Skaronski or Lucas Van Ness because he's just drafting or he's just signing, excuse me, all the all the Meatball Bears fans. And so <laughs> you know, like, I think that we can just go ahead and lock in Peter Skaronski at number nine. I, I don't I think if you're taking Lucas Van Ness, you're going to trade back a little bit. I don't know if you're going to want to take him in the top 10, but I'm not an NFL GM. That's just, you know, whatever my, my thought, but it, 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 funny thing about Peter Skaronsky, I, I have like a tangent connection with him that I found out about like a week ago. My, my landlord, who is my, uh, my, my girlfriend's 
And can I just can I just yeah. say once you start with my landlord, I yeah, know my landlord. This has gone off the rails. My landlord like babysat Peter Skaronsky for a long time. So <laughs> I can't think of anything that makes a tighter bond. Yeah. Yeah. It's it so I mean, we we, we basically know each other already. <laughs> yeah. He's actually he's been in my house. Like he's been here. Like last year he was here. Which I didn't know about. They had him upstairs, and I didn't know about it. How could you not know about it? He's like six, seven, or something. I don't know. I was probably working at the score. You know, Adam Stanzinski, so. Stanzinski, and Meatballs. We're talking about all the Meatball Bear fans who are playing for the Bears <laughs> now, and such a, a kinship. Has that previously you and your Meatball Bears fans? Has that made a difference? I don't think he's doing this. To, I don't think Ryan Poles is doing this to to <clears throat> hail fellow well met to to kumbaya this whole thing like hey we're all Chicagoans and leave me alone it it's the, he believes he's getting good value and he's getting a good player yeah but yeah. has this been in your feckless youth and other adulthood <laughs> been a point of celebrating before this before you became such a meatball I. I I, are you talking about like a point of celebrating the meatball Bears fans being signed? The Chi- or? Yeah, that, that there's okay. a Chicago and a one of ours. Hey, Chicago. Right. Yeah. I, I, so I think that's always just been I like realistically. I think it's just a a, a coincidence. Like because I think no one has had a problem. I think with well, you can you can you can debate whether or not you have a problem with the, the positions that he's signing, but the players themselves, if you're just looking at them, like I think a lot of people would agree they're good players that largely that he's been signing that are filling holes on a team that has a ton of holes. Right. So I think it's just really pure coincidence that so many of them have happened to be from the Chicagoland area and are just huge bears fans. Like I didn't even know that Robert Tunyon was from the area and is a huge bears fan. But like, I had I had no idea about that until he said that in his introductory press conference, and so I think that's just pure coincidence. I mean, as far as I think that does help you, I guess, identify with the team a little bit more, and it's it's just cool to know to know that the that so many of the guys playing for the team legitimately care that they're playing for the bears. Like it's a point of pride for them. They grew up watching the team. I think there's something to that, but, but I, I don't know if it's really is more of it's just a coincidence that, you know, someone like me and my, my fellow meatball fans can, can say, Hey, one of us is playing for the bears. So if, if you had to make the pick at nine, would you make the meatball pick as part of Studzinski and meatballs? Or would you, <laughs> would, would you evaluate Jalen Carter's risk versus Peter Skaronsky's or, or, yeah, Peter Skaronsky's sure thing somewhere on the offensive line. What would you do with the ninth pick as a so, Bears fan? I, I think that as of as of this moment, you know, March twenty fifth, we're still basically a month out from the draft. I, I just don't think you're taking a, a risk on Jalen Carter. There was questions about his work ethic, I guess you could say, before we found out about all these street racing problems that apparently he's gotten himself, has been involved with, I should say. And I just, 
And then you have the pro day disaster that he had. And I just, I don't know if I've ever gone from thinking that a guy is just a surefire. Yeah. Take him in the top five and and you're going to feel good about it to just being totally out on a guy faster than I have with Jalen Carter. Like as of this moment, I'm out on him. Like if you're Ryan Poles and you're doing the risk assessment of, okay, like he might be really good, but we could draft Peter Skaronsky who seems to be by everyone's assessment at the very least going to be a really good guard and could still be a really good tackle if you believe in the arm length thing or not. And you also have Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State sitting there, which everyone I read, every analyst I read says he he can be a walk-in starting right tackle who could eventually play left tackle or might even just walk in at left tackle. So I think there's better options and safer options, I should say. Maybe not better as far as evaluating the pure player, but safer options at number nine than, than Jalen Carter, who, who you just – I, it, there's just too many unknowns. I, I mean, is this stuff behind him now? Is this the wake up call? And, and they're, you know, I, I know they're going to have him in for a private workout, so maybe he gets some of that stuff answered. But I mean, you have a guy that comes in to his pro day after already having these legal problems that were, you know, widely known about from the combine, and he comes in overweight and out of shape and can't even finish the drills. I, I just, I don't know how you overcome something like that to in select a guy in the top 10. I don't know if you're a general manager, you do that to your coach who is stressing the hits principle and you're drafting a guy who can't finish positional drills in the workout of a lifetime. So how and, would you, and, and I need to know how the meatball fans think about the hits principle. So I, I personally think that I know that when the hit first came out, we laughed, you know, People laughed about, oh, geez, another anagram. But uh, I I personally, like, I think I, I like it. I think it's really more just the overall point of preaching effort and consistent effort and hard work and, you know, you know doing doing your work off the field and being committed to, to the team all the time, basically. And I don't think Jalen Carter represents anything about that right now. Like, if you're like, – like, like you're just hinting that – if your coach is preaching this hits principle thing and in the players that you brought in, I mean, there's a succinct pattern of the type of players they're bringing in. They're guys that are hardworking, that are, you know, like gym rats. They, they do as much work off the field as they do on the field. And they're just really committed to the game of football and to bettering themselves all the time as a player. Jalen Carter is the complete opposite of that right now. You can watch his film in that semifinal game, where he just didn't seem to really care or you can look at everything that's happened since then. It just, he seems to not be the type of player that Matt Eberflus would be comfortable would, would welcome. If he were making the pick, let me say that if Matt Eberflus were making the pick, I, I think he would have already eliminated him from the board. So we have a point made by some texters and the Skaronsky kid at Northwestern sounds like a really good story, but, you know, he's related to Bob Skaronsky, yeah. a rather well-known Packer, and Peter Skaronsky is a Packer fan. So I don't know what that does to your meatball list, <laughs> but I need to bring that up. So a couple of texters to our, our tech zone are, are asking, are wanting to make the point, so you got to answer, meatball. So I think that as long as he's good – 
Yeah, we can welcome him onto the team. You know, and I understand. Look, if my grandpa played per, for the Packers, I probably would have ended up a Packers fan too. I get it. <laughs> so if if they draft Peter Skaronsky, and you know, he said when he was on with uh, what was it, Parkinson Spiegel, a couple months ago, that you know he he'd be he'd be <laughs> he's willing to go to any team. Obviously, right? You know, it was a very uh, political answer by him. The right move. But you know, like I understand he's a Packers fan, and you know, hey, if he comes in here and he puts in, he's and he's good, then you know, all right, fine, we can we can welcome the Packers fan. We'll yeah. we'll make it work. Okay, all right. <laughs> I just want to know how flexible you are. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Trash Panda. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Thanks for anytime, and man. Keep an eye on your landlord. Let's you never know what scoops he might have, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, it's a really funny connection. He might. He might end up be. He might end up here again for Christmas this year. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> wow! There you go. Happy Happy Skaronsky Day to you. Thanks, thanks, Trash Panda. <laughs> Anytime, man. Bye. All right, Stadzinski and Meatballs giving it all the meatballs, all the meatball bear fans, and Skaronsky. I guess I shouldn't be surprised if Skaronsky and Stadzinski would be <clears throat> virtually married to each other that way. Um, Tyler Tyler Ferengo. My producer, Jure, for the next couple minutes, anyways. Our web poll, where are we on it? Right now, we have a slight advantage towards Dr. Dreidel. 52.4% say Dr. Dreidel compared to 47.6 for Biggie Schmaltz. Okay. And you can go to the scores Twitter account at 670 the score, right? And vote on what my rapper name should be. Dr. Dreidel has defended his. His title for a while, so we'll do that. Um, Dr. Dreidel versus Biggie Schmaltz. I want to let everyone know. Okay, this is perfect. I have a WB Club note, and this is a good way to lead into it. Remember the thing I did about Albert Pujols? Try to do my math about how long it took him to circle the bases. And StatCast said, at an average of 26 seconds per homer, that Pujol circled the bases for like five hours in his career. Just five hours. That's it. That's all he did. He ran for five hours. Those were his home runs. And he had 59 homers against the Cubs. And I tried to do the math of 59 homers times 26 seconds divided by 60 gave me about 26 minutes. So I was looking for the time. He spent 26 minutes circling the bases in his career after homering against the Cubs. Not to rub it in, Cubs fans, but it's really funny. And so, 219 texter said Pujols at 703 homers at 360 feet per homer is 253,080 feet or 47.9 miles. I don't believe we were measuring the distance, nor did we give an average of home run. And the replay we showed was over 440 feet. Pat Hughes said, that's a perfect Wake and Bake Club member in a 219. Okay, so I have this Wake and Bake note that I, I wanted to share. I think it is, it's, you, you might remember that the St. Paul Saints were once owned by Mike Veck, Bill Veck's son, and Bill Murray. The St. Paul Saints are an independent team. They've owned several teams. The St. Paul Saints were known for doing outrageous things, outlandish things, and they made minor league baseball fun. 
They were recently sold, uh, recently being in the last year. So Mike Vec and Bill Murray and those guys don't own it. But they're keeping the tradition alive. And they have a new ad, a new fan plan that might appeal to Wake and Bake Club members. The ad says this. Got the munchies? Our new $4.20 ticket package is one you won't want to miss. Along with a game ticket, this exclusive deal includes a brownie or a Twinkie. Plus early gate access to batting practice beginning at 4.20 p.m. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I love that. So there you go, St. Paul Saints. They're, they got all the 420 you can ask for except for the actual 420 product. Take a break. When we come back, I have, uh, courtesy of the inimitable Jay Kuda, baseball season starting. And we always expect, we always expect things, we expect to be shocked, surprised by things. So we've seen 300 or heard of, or there have been 318 no-hitters in Major League Baseball history. It always makes news. Hey, through no-hitter. Look, no-hitter. Oh, my God. It happened 318 times. So many other things are more rare, are rarer than that. And Jay Kuda has narrowed them down. So you might look for this. As baseball season begins, 318 no-hitters. I'll just give you a taste. And how about an inside-the-park grand slam? Tyler, are you a baseball fan? Do you understand what baseball? Have you ever seen a baseball game? Yes, I have. And I am a baseball fan. Inside the Park Grand Slam? Inside the Park Grand Slam. That sounds like a rarity, doesn't it? How how is it even possible? Well, the bases are loaded, and the guy hits what would be an inside the park home run, but everybody scores, so that's an inside the park Grand Slam. I want to know this, too. Like, if that play's possible, how many errors were on that play? It's not an inside the park grand slam. If there are errors, it becomes an inside the park single or a three base error or something like that. Tiger, that how in the world Tyler? That's how we play baseball. That's how we score baseball. Okay, there have been two hundred and twenty four of them. Two hundred and twenty four inside the park grand slams. So we have other rarities, and we'll eventually get down into double figures and single figures. And I was amazed by some of this. Jay Kuda is someone. He's inimitable, and we'll go over his work after this break. Saturday Suckage. Thank you, Suckage years. Baseball season starting. We'll go over some remarkable things. Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Some Wake and Bake Club members who think inside the clubhouse is starting at 9 in the morning now. But it is baseball season. This is Saturday suckage. We'll take you up to 155, in which time Cubs baseball will be on the air here on the score. Chicago Sports Radio 670 WSCR. Baseball starting. Baseball this week is starting. So I mentioned before the break, there have been 318 no-hitters in Major League Baseball history. And we always make a big deal out of it, like it's so rare. Well, it's not so rare when you compare it to something like this. Inside the Park Grand Slam, as I mentioned, 
224 inside the park grand slams. Imagine everything has to be aligned for that. Base is loaded. You can't hit it out of the park. It's got to be no errors, no nothing. It's a, It's got to be an inside the park. And 224 inside the park grand slams. Tyler Farringal, how many home runs in your first career at bat, a first career at bat, do you think have been hit in the majors? Home runs in a first career at bat. Always makes for a wonderful story. It's it's the natural. It's all the lights going on. It's fireworks. Yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess here and say 350. 133. Okay. I feel like there's been a lot more recently. The last, like, Contreras hit his first home run in his first at-bat. Christopher Morrell hit a home run in his first at-bat. I feel like there's been a lot more recently. Mm-hmm. Okay, an immaculate inning. Do you know what an immaculate inning is? Yes, I do. Well, share it, it with the class. When you go three, three strikes on every pitch. So, like, nine pitches, all strikes. Three up, three down, nine pitches, nine strikes. See you later. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Immaculate inning. There have been 110 immaculate innings in baseball history. So that's rarer than a no-hitter. It's only one inning, but it's rare. Somebody fires nine straight strikes. There's not even an extra foul ball in there. It's nine pitches, nine strikes. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. Perfect games. Talked about no-hitters. There are 318 no-hitters. So as Jay Kuda lists these rarities in order of their rareness, perfect games. How many perfect games do you think there have been in Major League Baseball history? 23. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think I actually So you finally called up the, the tweet that I was referring to so you can look at all the answers, Tyler? Not, no You're cheating this time. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> 23 perfect games. I did cover one of those, and I hated it. It was a perfect game on getaway day, and Mike Witt threw it. Nobody liked Mike Witt. Nobody liked being late. On getaway day, the Angels were already eliminated. He did it at the end of the 1984 season. Everybody just wanted to get out, including the umpires, and then he ends up throwing a perfect game. You have to write nice things about him. I hate him. Four home runs in a game. That is just, oh, my God, sweetheart, get me rewrite. Stop the presses. How many times do you think four home runs in a game have been hit by one player? 57. 18. Wow, I'm off. 18 four home run games. Unassisted triple play. The most famous was Bill Wamsgantz in the 1920 World Series. Unassisted triple play. There have been 15 unassisted triple plays in Major League Baseball history. And that's still not the rarest play, not by a long shot. Here's an interesting way. This is Jay Kuda's research, Jay Kuda's information. Perfect games lost on the 27th batter. We've seen this, right? Eight and two-thirds innings of perfect baseball. You immediately want to break into your Vince Scully when you hear this. 27th batter. Oh, he lost his perfect game. That, That could be an error. That could be a walk. Could be a hit. 14 times. 14 times a perfect game has been lost on this 27th batter. Two grand slams in a game. Wow. That's something. White Sox Robin Ventura did that. Two grand slams in a game. How many? 
How many? How many do you think, Tyler? Two grand slams in a game. Yeah. Uh, Fifteen. Thirteen. Good. Good. This is a weird one. <clears throat> Three sacrifice flies in a game. Yeah, I. It's more rare than it is proud, but. Okay, you don't get any at-bats. You get three RBIs in no at-bats. That's how it works. 11 times a player has had three sacrifice flies in a game. Three times you've been caught stealing in a game. Three times a player has been caught stealing in a game. Six. Three times you've been caught stealing in a game is far more rare than a no-hitter. <laughs> All right, here's something Kerrywood fans will love. 20 strikeouts in a nine-inning game. No Cup fans. Kerry was not the only one who did it. Roger Clemens did it. Other guys have done it in a nine-inning game. It's not 20 strikeouts total or the most in a game. Five times. Kerry was one of five guys who struck out 20 in a nine-inning game. We've talked a lot about Grand Slams in this list of baseball rarities. Grand Slam in a first career at bat. Here it is. Man, you get called up to majors. You, you tell your parents to come in. I'll leave you tickets. The parents are sitting there. The bases are loaded, and you're up. How many children have rewarded their parents with the Hollywood story of a Grand Slam in a first career at bat, Tyler? Ooh, this is a tough one. I'm going to go 25. 25 first career at bat as Grand Slams. I don't know. That was probably wrong. Yes, very much by, so. By how Four, much? These manys. These manys. I'm all over the map. Now, here's some pictures. numerical synchronicity. See, Sweet Cheek sitting next to you understands numerical synchronicity. Three hits in an inning. How many times has a player gotten three hits in an inning? Ten. I said numerical synchronicity. Don't you think three hits in an inning would happen three times? Hence the numerical synchronicity. Three times a player has gotten three hits in an inning. Now here's something that a Cubs announcer once did. Four times grounding into a double play in one game. Four times. We know one of them. If you're a longtime Cub fan, that would be Bob Brenly. Four grounded into double plays in, in a game. Made four errors in a game. Do I have that wrong? Oh, my God. I screwed that up. There's only two guys, two times. Four players have grounded. Four, ground, four grounded into double plays. Two players have grounded into double play four times in a game. And the rarest thing in baseball on this list, supplied by Jay Kuda, the inimitable one, two grand slams in an inning. Two grand slams in one inning. It has happened once in Major League Baseball history. I was going to say once or twice. The rarest of rare. Do you know who it was? I do not. Fernando Tatis Sr. Bodacious Tatis, as he was known. Played for the Cardinales. He did it in Doyers Stadium against the Doyers. Two grand slams in an inning. So there you go, baseball fans. It gives you some perspective on rarities and what we make a big deal out of. And like, yeah, two grand slams in an inning. Hello. 
All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, cultural zeitgeist. We have a, um, a glorious anniversary, several of them, and an Oscar win. And we have a... <laughs> so if, if Pat Hughes were to do this month in baseball history, I'm not sure he would mention this item, but I'm going to. Saturday suckage, but you knew that. Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Saturday Suckage. Uh, Stevie Suckage here in the Big 670. Take you up to Cubs Baseball 155. And in the meantime, we have to do our cultural zeitgeist segment. We need an open for cultural zeitgeist. How do we do this? We need somebody to say that. We need music. We need a theme. Tyler, what do you think? How are we, how are we going to do this? We need a cultural zeitgeist bumper. need an open I mean, if Studzinski and Meatballs can get one, then Cultural Zeitgeist should. So it's, what do we do? It's going to happen sooner or later. We'll, we'll make it happen for you. You can't believe how, what lack of confidence I have in that, Tyler. I'll try not to suck. Okay. Your bracket may be busted. But do you still want to be in on the action? Follow 670 The Score in the Odyssey app to unlock two months of free betting insights from BetQL. Get expert betting trends, model best bets, and more. Simply download the Odyssey app, create an account, and follow 670 The Score to unlock your two-month free trial of BetQL. 51 years ago yesterday, on wide release came this from one of the greatest movies of all time. Well, when Johnny was first starting out, he was signed to this personal service contract from the big band leader. And as his career got better and better, he wanted to get out of it. Now, Johnny is my father's godson. And my father went to see this band leader. And they offered him $10,000 to let Johnny go. The band leader said no. So the next day, my father went to see him, only this time with Luca Brazzi. And within an hour, he signed a release for a certified check of $1,000. How'd he do that? My father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. What was that? Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head. And my father assured him that either his brains or his signature would be on the contract. It's a true story. That's my family, Kate. It's not me. That... Michael Corleone and Kay Adams at the wedding of of Connie and 51 years ago this week, The Godfather debuted on wide release. And if you listen to that scene, you'll know that's everything. That's The Godfather. That's one of the, that, the, the king, three princes. That's one of the princes. That's the youngest, and he would in, inherit the kingdom. He would take it over. 
It's what Pop wanted. It's not what I wanted. I'm smart, not dumb, not like people say. But that's all about what the Godfather is, what the Godfather did, Luca Brasi. All right? Your brains or your signatures going on the contract. And then Michael claims, that's my family, Kate. That's not me. Well, it would be him. Anyways, that was a chance to, uh, arguably the third greatest movie all time behind Casablanca and Slapshot. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. The thank you texters, several texters, Bob in Arlington Heights, 847 and 815. I'm always suspect. You did your math correctly while doing the Albert Pujols time around the bases. Speaking of the Godfather, won a whole bunch of Oscars. The Oscars were handed out a couple weeks ago, and Jamie Lee Curtis, my girl, she won Best Supporting Actress for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And she, she tweeted out pictures at the Beverly Hills Hotel where the Oscar is sitting on her table as she's poolside. It glistens prominently in the middle of the table. You go, girl. It's wonderful. And she had said on the Today Show where she would not go to the Oscar dinner where they have all come on to the dinner and do this. No. Because the Academy Awards dinner starts at 7.30. And she was asked on the Today Show, what time would the dinner have had to be at for you to actually say yes? And she said, five. I love you, Jamie Lee Curtis. But here's the money quote, the money thought from Jamie Lee Curtis. She talks about late starting time for concerts and other live events. She says, why are there no matinees? I'm curious. I would love to see Coldplay. I would love it. The problem is I'm not going to see Coldplay. If they start their show at 9 and there's an opening act, I want to hear Coldplay at 1 p.m. I love that woman. I love that whole idea. Afternoon concerts, that's the way to go. That's the one thing about Wrigley Concerts. You ever been to a concert at Wrigley, Tyler? Unfortunately, no, I have not. They are a thing, and if you go during the week and it's at nighttime and you're staying up with the adults, maybe once you get past having a work permit and you get a driver's license, you can go. And Wrigley Wrigley has a sound ordinance, and you got to be off. I think it's 10 o'clock, maybe 1030. But those concerts start on time. They're going to give, I'd be interested to see what Springsteen does if they just walk on the stage and yank his chords because everybody starts at 8 and they're done by 10 or whenever it was, every concert I've been to has started on time because they're going to end and it's a hard end. And I'm with you, Jamie Lee. I would like afternoon concert. That'd be great. Just like afternoon baseball. So... We do this every year, and just as Tyler Ferengol, my producer, did not know Lee Elia, you had no idea who Lee Elia was, but now you've heard Lee Elia, you really didn't know about this. 53 years ago, the agony of defeat was born. 53 years ago, Tuesday, to be exact, Vinko Bogataj, a young Yugoslavian skier, lost it on the mountain and tumbled into history. He became a video meme for failure. 
And it became this kind of, it became so well known that this was what so many of us grew up with. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. The Agony of Defeat, Vinko Bogotaj, 1970. Went down the mountain, lost it on the mountain, forever emblazoned on wide world of sports. You don't know wide world of sports either, do you, Tyler? Like you said, I'm a baby. I don't know. Unfortunately, I did not hear of that. <clears throat> you didn't know Lee Elio. Did you know Les Grabstein? Did you know of Les? Of course I knew Les Grabstein. I'm just wondering because it's amazing what they don't teach score producers. There should be a course. And Lawrence Holmes should teach it because Lawrence Holmes is a teacher. Lawrence Holmes has a master's. He teaches at DePaul. There is a certain institutional knowledge that one should have here. Why World of Sports is part of it. And you've never seen The Godfather either, have you? No, funny story. I'm like the only one in my family that has not seen any of The Godfather movies. True story. Yeah, it's hysterical. It's really funny. You realize it's hysterical. They ought to have a score producer educational program. You should have to know what goes on here. You should know the you should have institutional knowledge of what this institution is. It's it's legendary in Chicago sports. Not just when you showed up. It they should do that for scores. Okay, they should do that for score producers. I don't know. This this month in baseball, if you're doing this month in baseball history, I don't know that Pat Hughes would mention this way he does today in baseball history. And they always do it during blowouts, so he and Ronnie and Zach have something to talk about. Do you know who Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich are, Tyler? Again, I'm going to have to say no. Okay. Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich made history, well, made news, I guess, 60 years ago. They traded, they were Yankees pitchers. They traded wives, kids, families, everything. They swapped wives, kids, families. <laughs> it was not the trade that helped both teams, one one family unit survived, the other one did not. But it was quite the thing 60 years ago to hear about <clears throat> trading kids, wives, homes, families. Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich, Yankees. Well, the Yankees were done winning World Series for a lot of decades, so they had to do something for the entertainment value. And I just I just think that's, that's something – Baseball, the baseball fans should know and should celebrate. John Waters. Maybe you know John Waters. Maybe you don't know John Waters. Maybe you know his work. You ever seen a John Waters movie, Tyler? I have to say no. Okay. That's all right. Have you heard of Pink Flamingos? The movie. Not the Joe Madden idea. No, I haven't. Hairspray. Have you heard of Hairspray? I have heard of Hairspray. Him. That's him. That's John Waters. Okay. That's kind of, I am divine. That's a John Waters thing. So he's 
from Baltimore and as he's an quite the supporter of the arts, Baltimore Museum of Art. He has bequeathed 375 of his artworks and objects from his fine art collection. They will get it upon his death. The stipulation is this. The museum must name its bathrooms after him. He demanded, John Waters did, that the bathrooms be named after him if he were to bequeath them all of these artworks, some of which are Warhols and Roy Lichtensteins. Gotta love John Waters, the Prince of Puke, as he's known. And that is a perfect way to end Saturday Suckage. I'm about to get out of here for Cubs baseball. Thank you, Tyler Ferengel, for playing our game today. Be back next week as long as nobody important listens. Saturday Suckage and Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. That's it.